If you're going to run a great business, you've got to have great people, and finding them is a huge part of that puzzle. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com has a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. You can find them, but ZipRecruiter is how. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Once you check out their interface and you see those candidates come right into your inbox, you're going to realize it's a great choice. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck you are entering the freedom hut trump and kim had their summit in singapore this has now turned into a, a battle over narratives. Democrats and Republicans seeing very different things from this sit down between the two world leaders. Looks like a success for Trump from my angle. We'll talk about why and how. Plus, the Department of Justice seems to think that it has oversight over Congress. This is rather troubling. We'll get into that and much more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America, great, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Chairman Kim has told me that North Korea is already destroying a major missile engine testing site that's not in your signed document we agreed to that after the agreement was signed that's a big thing for the missiles that they were testing the site is going to be destroyed very soon today is the beginning of an arduous process our eyes are wide open but peace is always worth the effort especially in this case chairman kim has the chance to seize an incredible future for his people Anyone can make war, but only the most courageous can make peace. President Trump, there you have it, folks. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me. They said it wasn't going to happen. Not only did they say it wasn't going to happen, but they mocked him for the idea of having it. They mocked him when then it looked like it might not happen. And now they just have shown us all that If they get to pick door number one, door number two, door number one, the greatest diplomatic coup of the 21st century, stretching back probably well into the 20th, back to the end of the Cold War. It would be if he pulled this off. And I know it hasn't happened yet. We're going to talk about all the specifics, but it would be the most magnificent act of international statecraft since Reagan defeated the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. But if it's between door number one or door number two, failure, continued nuclear uh, provocations, missile uh, missile test launches, and a possible military confrontation with North Korea, a lot of the press is looking for door number two. 
just cannot stand, cannot abide the notion that Donald Trump himself is, in fact, quite capable on the world stage. That the President of the United States, when he goes with his gut instincts, when he pushes based on what he believes to be true after his decades of wheeling and dealing and negotiating and being a, a honestly, a, a, a visionary in his field as well as a media mogul in his own right. They didn't believe that any of this could happen. They didn't believe it was possible. In fact, they, they were uh, mocking him for it. Play clip one. He has been preparing for this all along in his imagination. No, there is a difference between studying up for it. This is not a, a dog who likes to learn new tricks. He relies on the same methods over and over again. We've been told that Kim has been preparing for months. The president tells us he will depend on instinct, feel, and touch. What I'm really worried about with President Trump is this whole thing, you know, I'm God's gift, I will go in in a moment, and I will know within 30 seconds whether there will be a deal or not, and whether I know the history of North Korea doesn't matter, it does matter. He said, I've been preparing all my life. I'd love to know, Mr. President, when was that? When you appeared in a Playboy softcore porn movie? Was it when you body slammed Vince McMahon, the head of the World Wrestling Federation? Or was it when you were leaking information, when you were disguising yourself as your own PR guy, talking to tabloids about what a great lover you were? Yeah, see, this is the obtuse literalism that I will keep talking to you about, because this is a new tactic on the left. It's a tactic with Democrats. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you really are you really preparing your whole life? Every second of your life you've been preparing. Why are you lying? Why do you have to lie, Mr. President? You haven't been preparing. You were preparing when you were five years old and you're running around in like diaper. Oh, actually, you don't run around diapers when you're five. You know what I mean? See, this is what happens when you're like me and you haven't actually had kids. You're like, yeah, you know, when you're five months old and you start talking, you're like, mom, give me that. You know, I, I get the I'm not good with the, the timelines for, you know, the growth of human beings. I don't know when these things happen. Anyway, but they do like this game now. They will play this game. You say, guys, come on. I've, I've, you know, I've uh, talked endless times on the show about the issue of criminal justice reform. Oh, really? Endless times? I don't think so. There was clearly an end to the times you just got, oh, the buck never stops? What happens at the end of your radio show? You got me there, guys. You, you got me. You know, ooh, I better turn myself in. This is what they do, though, with Trump. I mean, listen, these are anchors. These are people that are paid millions of dollars, folks. Why? I don't know. They do the job. If, if it was really, you know, fair market value, they'd all be making about 50 grand. But they, they do the job. They get paid all this money and they go on TV and they say things like, you know, he hasn't been preparing his whole life. It's a figure of speech. Oh, he's such a liar. He's a liar. Right. OK, I get it. Ah. <sighs> Look, there is some surreal stuff going on here. The photos of Trump and Kim Jong-un together. Also, they're talking about Kim Jong-un's... He's like a 34-year-old who lives in a place called the Hermit Kingdom, everybody. I I don't think he's some master statecraft tactician. But they believe that he's right on the same plane, right on the same level as Trump, don't they? They certainly do. There were some uh, truly surreal moments, though. I want to get into some of those. Uh, first of all, when he talked about the future development of North Korea, that got a lot of people's attention. Play 11, please. That was done at the highest level of future development. I told him, you may not want this. You may want to do a much smaller version of this. 
But that was a version of what could happen, what could take place. As an example, they have great beaches. You see that whenever they're exploding their cannons into the ocean, right? So I said, boy, look at that. Wouldn't that make a great condo behind? And I explained, I said, you know, instead of doing that, you could have the best hotels in the world right there. Think of it from a real estate perspective. You have South Korea, you have China, and they own the land in the middle. How bad is that, right? It's great. Now, this, of course, led people to say, oh, my gosh, Trump. He's just like crazy. He's talking about condos and everyone's starving and he doesn't understand and he doesn't care. No, he is trying to sell this. He's trying to sell it to the North Korean leadership. He's trying to sell it to everybody. And that is a part of the job. Right? We, we talk about the art of political persuasion. We talk about rhetoric and all the time in politics, right? Selling is a part of this. Getting people to believe in the vision that you are putting forward. And that's what Trump is trying to do. And you'll note that when it came to Obama and Cuba, there were there was all kinds of talk about, oh, Cuba and the beautiful beaches. I've had friends that have gone to Cuba, and they say, yeah, the beaches are great. The quality of the food is not particularly good because, you know, socialism. But Cuban cuisine is great. But the quality of the ingredients you tend to have, I'm just telling you what I've been told by everyone I know who's gone there. They're like, the food is kind of, the Cuban food you get in Florida, incredible. I love Cuba. I actually went to a Cuban restaurant here in D.C. last week. It was very good, by the way. I had several mojitos, producer Mike. Things got spicy. Uh, but that's right, several. Um, but Cuban food in, in Cuba, because of the lack of access to high-quality produce, is, anyway, People talk about the beaches there all the time. They're like, oh, the beaches are, and I'm sure they'd be really nice. But that's okay to do. That's aspirational when discussing the future of Cuba for the left. But to discuss the future of North Korea in any in aspirational terms, look, I know Cuba's a lot closer to being a resort and everything else than North Korea is. I understand this. I'm not making a direct comparison, but I'm just saying I get what Trump is trying to say. And, you know, this this is one of the recurring themes today on the show is, you know, the left has adopted this this hyper literalism of, you know, everything he says, anytime he's trying to paint a vision of 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 progress, a, a vision of prosperity and, and bring people along to his way of thinking. If he takes some liberties with the specifics of the fact, oh, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar all the time. Let me tell you something. Salespeople lie to you. Salespeople lie to you. When, when you sit in that car and they say, oh, you were, that car was made for you. Producer Mike, I'll have you know that is technically a false statement. They do not manufacture the vehicle with a specific human being in mind. But, you know, when I go in and I buy jeans and the lovely sales lady says, ooh, those make you look cute. Do I buy those jeans? Yes. Do I know that she probably does not like me nor think that I look cute in those jeans? Absolutely. But this is salesmanship. This is how it goes. They hold this against Trump, though, all the time. One of the things that came up, and I this one just drives me nuts, almost as nuts as when I saw Ben Rhodes, former chief propagandist on foreign policy for the Obama administration, also known as like strategic communications deputy, something or other, uh, he, he shared a, a tweet today that, you know, nuclear inspections are really an important part of this. Like, yeah, you don't say. You got to be able to inspect everything, don't you? Everything. Like the military stuff, too, which we don't get to do in Iran. Oh, that's right. 
But another place where you have the deal hypocrisy is on human rights. People are now saying, oh, and this is where you get this outrage at Trump you know, appearing with Kim Jong-un. And I, Look, I, it's not going to look good if in six months this thing falls apart. It's not going to look good. It's not going to be the end of the world. But the optics of it, it's going to be kind of, remember like Rumsfeld, you used to see that photo of Rumsfeld back in the day with Saddam shaking hands, being buddy-buddy, and then when we invaded Iraq, people were like, look at Rumsfeld. It doesn't look good, but, you know, conservatives, the right, more broadly, we deal with the world as it is, not as we wish to pretend it is. This is one of the, the primary psychological separations between left and right. We see the world as it is. They see the world as they wish it were and believe they could make it if only they had more power. Uh, I think it was a good day for the president. I think it could be a very good day for the world. We don't know yet. We, we have to wait and see. We don't have the results. I've told you this all along. You know this. We know this. So it's going to take some time to see how this shakes out. Is it a gamble? Sure. Uh, is it going to take some, some luck and some good fortune? Absolutely. But do we need to hear from third-tier hair swoops like Joe Scarborough on this one? I don't think so. Play 14. With Pass's prologue, we can't believe anything the North Koreans tell us. Uh, you would hear that whether you talk to people who worked in the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Clinton administration, or if you spoke with President Carter, who tried his best to bring peace to this region. But uh, every time the North Koreans have lied, it's hard to take anything out of this. This was one meeting. All we have is really, we're just actually seeing spring training here instead of the World Series. There really is no way of judging this uh, because it is a glorified photo op. No way of judging it as he's judging it. <laughs> no way to know if this was good or bad, but we know it's bad because, you know, the people that are doing the analyzing don't like Trump. They pushed on a lot of this came up today on the human rights issue, and I would just note that that was explicitly exempted from the Iran nuclear deal with very little criticism. i got to be careful. I don't want to say no criticism because someone's going to send me a link to a blog from somewhere that says, oh, look, I criticize, right? That's what the left does now. But with very little criticism of that component of the deal because it's just not realistic, right? I mean, if we sit down with China for trade negotiations, and we say to them, hey, China, you know what else, by the way? You know what else has to be on the table? You need a representative democracy here. You, you need a different form of government. The Chinese leadership would laugh in our faces and be like, we're going to keep taking a lot of your money, and we don't want to hear it. Right? We're going to buy U.S. treasuries with it, and we don't want to hear it. So that's, I think, an, another part of this, that including the human rights record of North Korea in these negotiations at this stage is just a form of people looking for something to criticize without actually having any real substance behind it. Because what, what are we going to say? Stop being the worst prison camp on the planet or else we can't do anything with you? Well, then we can't do anything with them because this is, they are so many steps away from being a functional, reasonable, and, and peaceful country with a civil society that we're going to be holding our breath for the next century before we can even think there's anything to talk to them about. So I just think that's a, it's a straw man argument you're hearing from some people now. It's not that human rights aren't important. It's just it's not, you know, 
I could walk up to my employer and be like, I want to get paid $100 million. And they'll laugh at me and say, well, that's not going to happen. I can keep asking, but it's not going to go anywhere. Even though, even though producer Mike, I think I'm worth it. I think, you know, 100 mil, that seems, that seems reasonable. I am worth thousands of dollars. It's amazing. 844-900-2825. buck. What did you think of this? What was your favorite or most interesting or most worthwhile part of this whole summit phenomenon? We're spending a whole bunch of time in North Korea today. We will get to some other topics, though, to be sure. Don't think we're just going to be a one-note, a one-trick pony, if you will. We will get into all kinds of things. So uh, stay right there, and we'll be back. The people of Korea, North and South, are profoundly talented, but to realize their amazing destiny, to reunite their national family, the menace of nuclear weapons will now be removed. In the meantime, the sanctions will remain in effect. Sanctions remain in effect, folks. Remember that when people talk about, oh, what did we give up? What did, what, what did we lose here? You don't really lose anything. I mean, prestige, if this doesn't work out, it'll look like a failure. People, there'll be a lot of partisan hackery around it, but it doesn't change anything. Um, we got Kellyanne Conway joining us in just a couple of minutes from the White House, so that will be interesting. We'll hear from her about where exactly the administration not just stands right now, but where it is going in the days, weeks, and months ahead on North Korea. But I want to get some of you in here because the line's lit up like a Christmas tree. We are lit in the hut. Caleb, Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Hey, Caleb. Hey, what's going on, Buck? Uh, Buck, it is lit, is it not? It is lit, sir. It is lit up in here. Hey, hey, so, uh, hey, you're my favorite uh, longtime listener. Uh, I have an observation that I've been noticing with Trump on the world stage. I'll be quick. Uh, especially with Macron and Trudeau and now Kim, is Trump bringing, like, an American father figure to the global stage? I know it sounds weird, but if you really think about it, you can see it. Thank you, Buck. All right, Caleb. Thank you very much for your uh, for your kind words and your thoughts, my friend. Bob in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. For taking our call. Thank you. Hey, you know, uh, I saw the summit and I saw quite a bit of that interchange. One thing that struck out to me was Trump's body language in terms of he wasn't laughing. He was pretty serious about it. And I was thinking this is history in the making, both in terms of Trump sitting down with his supposed dictator, which we have done throughout our history in, in American politics. And the other side of history is the liberal media going to the other extreme, irrespective of the damage it's going to cause to the nation, saying he's doing nothing but, you know, it's like a JV team, whatever. There's nothing being accomplished here. They know for a fact, I mean, the liberal media, that this is a tremendous accomplishment in terms of what might happen. And it doesn't matter what the end result is. The fact that they're sitting down. Just like Obama said, I'm willing to sit down with the dictators if it's going to do any good. Had it been Obama sitting in front of him, he would have had the second opportunity to get the Nobel Peace Prize just for sitting in front of him. The first one was for not even doing anything. That's what I'm afraid of. Republicans and conservatives are independent thinking people. They find it hard to come together as a group. But Democrats... Yeah, no, Democrats move as a blob. I I agree with that, Bob. Bob, we got to go, unfortunately, my friend. Kellyanne Conway, up next. We got a lot more done today than I ever thought possible. 
And he's going back. He's now headed back. And he, I think he's going back to get this done. He wants to get it done. You know, you hear the whole thing about his father and other administrations or his grandfather. The fact is that he, and he brings that up. But they weren't dealing with me. They were dealing with different people. President Trump saying we got a lot more done than possible. The high stakes summit uh, has happened, as you all know. We've got somebody with us now to help explain what the next steps are. Where does this White House go from here? Kellyanne Conway is with us. I'm sure you're all familiar with her. She is a senior counselor to the president. Kellyanne, thank you so much for making the time. It's such a pleasure to be with you, Buck. Thank you. So where does this go next? We had this big summit. We had this meeting. We have a document. What happens now? The president has made very clear this is probably first the first step in many steps. And it was a big step forward, a giant one, really. If you think about three American detainees back on American soil, uh, the president's leadership leading to this four-point agreement. But the fourth point really captured uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's eye. He put it on Twitter, and, and I'll repeat it now. The United States and the DPRK commit to recovering POW MIA remains, including the immediate repatriation of those Americans already identified. I mean, that is that is really a huge step forward uh, when you think of it that way. And the president, using Otto Warmbier's very sad and tragic and unfortunate death as an inflection point to say that he will not have died in vain, this exposed them and this, this I think, accelerated the conversations that should lead to the real end game here, which is complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The president has made very clear, moving forward, that the the true victory is if they if they denuclearize. And as for a timetable, that's up to King Jong Un because the president said he'll lift sanctions tied to those actions. And uh, there's a possible meeting at the White House, but let's not get a, ahead of ourselves because right now, North Korea must see that if it goes back and takes very swift action towards full, true, honest denuclearization, irreversible denuclearization, where inspectors go in, where there's timetables, there are standards and protocols put in place, then the pro, the economic self-isolation of North Korea and the suffering of its people uh, could be abate, could abate as well. Now, there are some out there, Kellyanne, I'm sure you've been hearing it today, who are saying, that we gave uh, without getting. I mean, I, I disagree with that, but I wanted to know uh, how you gauge this back and forth with North Korea, because right, the sanctions stay in place. Nothing has actually been given to North Korea except for the meeting. And we've had bipartisan, quite honestly, failure to stop the missile program stretching back through numerous administrations without a meeting. So this is clearly a, a different step. It, it differentiates this presidency from those that came before it. I just want to know, how, do you see anything that we had to give? Is there people keep talking about this like a huge risk? I see it as a much greater downside to not take the president's path than to do what we saw here. Yes. And those who talk about giving too much without getting much in return must be referring to these one-sided deals like Cuba and Iran. And certainly not the mission of peace, as Secretary Pompeo refers to this summit and this entire uh, undertaking. Those one-sided concessions by the United States with Cuba and certainly with the Iran nuclear deal, uh, those were, as the president says, disgraceful. Because this, in, in, with, North, with respect to North Korea, this is a movement toward permanent, complete, and verifiable denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. 
it begins with a process that is based on that. But look, uh, the people who favored the Iran deal, which of course this president says he will not, you know, he will no longer honor. He uh, he, he he just disagrees with it. He, this president has made very clear that the problem with the Iran nuclear deal is that this United States, as it usually does with trade deals, well, with Iran in a non-trade deal, gave up too much and got too little in return. The president ran very, very smartly, decisively, and successfully on saying we're no longer going to be on the receiving end of poor deals, bilateral deals. And and that, that applies here as well. I mean, this president is keeping up the maximum pressure campaign, the sanctions, uh, in pursuit of the denuclearization. But I, I fail to see, other than people being blinded by their partisanship, you know, what they would object to and what just happened. Because the United States and the DPRK committed to establish new relations in accordance with the desire of its people in those two countries for peace and prosperity. They, the, they will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the peninsula. Uh, the president has been engaging allies in the region, uh, certainly with it, the last weeks and, and days, but really, Buck, all along through day one of his administration, if not going back to the, to the transition, where he has been forging uh, relate, better relationships with Mr. Moon in South Korea, Mr. Abe in Japan, and even Mr. Xi in China. I wanted to ask you about that, Kellyanne. What, what, what is the Chinese? What is the Chinese reaction? What are we hearing from Chinese leadership? What's the White House uh, getting from Xi Jinping and and his his top people about this summit? Are, are they have they weighed in? Do we see any action from the Chinese side that's encouraging that they're going to be a constructive part of this process? Well, nothing that's reportable at the moment, but clearly the whole world was watching, and that includes China. And uh, China and the United States, under President Trump's leadership, have had some very uh, tough but very candid and somewhat productive conversations on issue of the d- issues of the day. And, and we know that issues facing both nations, uh, ob- obviously trade is very much uh, on in, in the president's sights. Another issue, uh, another issue like illegal immigration that this president sort of took from the single digits, mired in single digits in the polling and elevated it to a question of fairness. You know, let's stop screwing the American worker, American industry, and America herself. Let's get on the better side of this. So uh, it, absent this president and absent his leadership and absent his ability to just change the entire framework through which we even look at, examine, and try to tackle challenges around the world, and certainly here domestically. Absent that, we'd have the same old, same old. And here's a proof of that. Look at the other examples. This president keeps the promise of other presidents. He, he succeeds where others have failed. Great example, recent example, is moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and indeed recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Four or five other presidents had promised it. This president kept the promise. Other presidents, including President Obama, I'm going to visit North with North Korea. It's the biggest challenge that I'm passing on to President-elect Donald Trump. Failed. Others have failed. And that's why those who help them fail, or let's just say help them not succeed, are being critical of this president, because there's got to be a little bit of uh, a little jealousy in the criticism. But people should get on Team America today and recognize this is a good step forward. The president said maybe it won't work out in the end. He said it in his press conference. It may not work out in the end. Things can change. He could change his mind. But so far, we at least feel cautiously optimistic that things are headed in the right direction. We're all One more. way ahead. I, I just wanted to ask you, Kellyanne, before we let you go, uh, and thank you again for joining us. What can we expect at the top of the president's 
domestic agenda between now and the midterms, which I know is a, a short period of time, but I'm, I know this president's going to be pushing. What's going to be at the top of that list? Well, this president is, you know, him, the sheer volume and velocity of what he works on by day, by week is incredible. Um, it's hard to believe what even just happened in halfway through the month of June, but he's coming back to a legislative session there in Congress. Uh, many people say you can't pass anything in an election year this close to election day. The president doesn't believe that. He thinks you've got to uh, continue to build on the great economic gains and to continue to build on peace through strength around the globe. He's been a master deregulator. He has uh, presided over an economy the likes of which nobody could have anticipated. The, the, the tax rates, the growth rates, for only the seventh time since 1970, we had a jobs report where the unemployment rate was under 4%. We have 6.7 million available jobs, far, far exceeds the number of people looking for work, which means, Buck, that if, even if you're currently employed, you have options now. You're not stuck in your job as much as people felt stuck in their jobs. Employers are investing their tax savings and the growth and their profits in their workplaces and workforces. Over 5 million Americans have received a bonus, a raise, or both. And then we're repatriating trillions of dollars of wealth. Apple is creating 20,000 new jobs in the U.S. All these indicators, the confidence levels are through the roof. All these very positive indicators that are not a coincidence. It's called causation. It is President Trump's leadership and his moxie. You know, his, Kellyanne, mind, his I, vision that gets this done. So thank you for having I, me. I know. I was going to say, I got to let you get back to uh, helping out with this White House with all the message and uh, everything else, all the messaging and all the things going on. Kellyanne Conway, everybody, senior counselor to the president. Thank you so much, Kellyanne. Thank you. God bless you. Team, uh, we are going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay with me. Obama didn't even give me the time of day. I asked him. I said, I have something to say from North Korea. He just brushed me off. But that didn't deter me. I still kept going back. I kept going back. I kept going back. I showed my loyalty and my trustworthy to this country. And I said to everybody, I said, the door will open. When I went back home, I got so many death threats. I got so many death threats. I was sitting there protecting everything. And I believed in North Korea. And when I went home, I couldn't even go home. I couldn't even go home. I had to hide out for 30 days. I couldn't even go home. But I kept my head up high, brother. I knew things were going to change. I knew it. I, I was the only one. I never had no one to hear me. I didn't know one had to see me. But I took those bullets. I took all that. I took everything. Everyone came at me, and I'm still standing. And today is a great day for everybody. Singapore, Tokyo, China, everything. It's a great day. I don't need to worry about the war stuff and all the stuff that's going on. I don't, I don't know anything about that. I just want to do one thing, bring sports to North Korea and try to bring, bring that, that connection with us to North Korea. That's his sports. Everything else should be Donald Trump's hands and people in the White House hands. I'm out of it. I'm just so happy just to be here, man, and to see the, everyone in the world get emotional like I did, cry to see it really, really happen. And Donald Trump should take a lot of credit for this because he went out the box and made this happen. Dennis Rodman was was there, man. He was he was a part of it. You know, he was he was on the scene in Singapore, and you know, as much as people. You know, we I feel like we, we've gotten now almost reflexive in our, oh, that person's a celebrity, so we have to trash everything that they say about politics or every effort they make in the in the political arena, right? I mean, you know, 
Do I think that Dennis Rodman is a North Korea policy expert? No. But do I think that he was able to go hang out with Kim Jong-il for long periods of time and might know something about the guy? Yeah. As, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Last King of Scotland. I think it is one of the most underrated movies. Producer Mike, put this one on your list. You too, Brandon. Last King of Scotland is one of the most underrated movies of all time. And people think it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But it, it just never really got the acclaim that I think it should have because it moves very quickly. It's about it's a, a, a fictional account of a doctor who becomes very close to Idi Amin, the dictator of you got very brutal dictator of Uganda. Um, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, this guy just becomes close with the close with the king, so to speak. And when you when you have that proximity to power, you know, you learn things. And with Dennis Rodman, I mean, he didn't stay around North Korea for all that long, but think of it this way. You had a lot of a lot of pundits sneering at Dennis, Dennis Rodman uh, for being in any way involved in the talks about North Korea, not in the, in the actual presidential talks, but being involved in this conversation when, hey, he can say, I've talked to the guy and you haven't. There's some, there's something to that. Uh, but yeah, they're just, they... You think about how they'll use celebrities for get out the vote efforts, and look, Obama. I know he went to you know Harvard Law School and he was a state senator. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't have a political resume, but Obama was very much a celebrity as well as a politician. I don't think anybody really denies that's why Obama and Michelle, Barack and Michelle Obama are going to play such a big role at Netflix because they're really a a celebrity political couple, and we know it's not going to be the Clintons anymore. Why not? I miss you. Yeah, I don't know if we miss her, though. You never call! You never write! That's right, Hillary. We don't. We're not, and we're not going to anytime soon. I, I'm just waiting for them to put, uh, to put forward Chelsea Clinton so we can all be like, Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton. And that's about it. And not, not a lot of, uh, of charisma not a lot of uh, personal vibrancy. Is that the what's the what's the personal magnetism? I don't know. I have to think of a way to describe it, in in a, well, in a kind enough fashion. So uh, yeah, I just I thought it was very uh, very interesting to see the way they they responded uh, to all this. And, and then you had the other, you know, the other side of this weighing in, of course, um, and and saying how. This is so, so concerning to them, a lot of them. Play a 15. But I listened to every minute of that one hour plus uh, press conference. Every minute and all I can of say that from my perspective is that I found it rambling. Oh. I found it at times incoherent. incoherent. I found it giving away more than having got. And I more found it mostly on a wing got. and a prayer and a wishful thinking. The thing that really worries me is are we going ahead now with anything concrete that both sides can work on? Or are we going ahead with just some hopeful, wishful thoughts? And I find that incredibly worrying, incredibly depressing. And as I said, I find it very difficult to, 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 to connect all the threads of what President Trump was saying. That's just a lot of gibberish with a fancy accent. 
but I think that if we were to take the triangulation of the side note of the additional meetings and if we were to square the box and look outside the box and just listen to the tone and the style of my voice, not the lack of any actual intellectual worth in what I am saying. Good like that. Good, good like that over in CNN. It's true. And then we've got Chuck Schumer. I, you know, my Schumer, he's a New York guy. He's like, I should be able to do a better. Schumer is not really, it's not easy to, to nail. You know, can you go too far? I'm trying to nail Schumer's accent. It's tough, though. So why don't we hear from him instead of me? 17. With the lack of details, we are worried that Kim Jong-un is getting something for nothing, which is fine for him but not fine for the safety of the citizens of the United States. President Trump has granted a brutal and repressive dictatorship the international legitimacy it has long craved. Uh, I don't think it's going to be legitimate internationally now. Certainly not going to be legitimate if we have to go to a military confrontation with them at some point in the future. So, All that said... Uh, we got a little more, a little more uh, to flesh out on North Korea here, and then I really do want to get into some domestic policy because, well, I'll tell you a bit about foreign po- my my broad stroke view. What do you really have to know about foreign policy? That's coming up after the break. I drink coffee every day. I drink Black Rifle coffee every day because I don't want to get my coffee from a bunch of progressive pseudo commies running around acting like they're waging some kind of twilight struggle against Dick Cheney and Halliburton by making the perfect frappuccino. How about just delicious small batch roast to order coffee from a company that is run by guys who live their motto of giving back to veterans to this country and to do everything in their power to support patriotism and freedom. Check out blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll learn more about Black Rifle. You'll see who these guys are. They are veterans. They love this country, and they're making some delicious coffee. When you go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, use the coupon code BUCK15. That's BUCK, B-U-C-K, 1-5. That'll get you 15% off. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code BUCK15 for 15% off. And I would offer to you that you should subscribe. I I would recommend subscribing monthly. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Coming to you from the very noisy streets of Tehran, celebrating the historic deal between America, its partners, and Iran. Those punishing sanctions will be lifted. Mr. Obama charting a new course. A new era has begun, for better or worse. A major political victory for President Obama. American presidents have negotiated with our uh, deepest, uh, darkest uh, enemies, uh, and sometimes they've come up Reagan with the It's a good and important deal. It is historic and changes the relationship between the United States and Iran. It's a huge triumph for diplomacy, a real conversation underway between Iran and the United States. It is quite an achievement, a triumph for diplomacy, regardless of how you make a final assessment. Now, I had 300 sanctions that I was getting ready to put on last week. And I said, you know, I can't really put on sanctions when I'm meeting with. I thought it would be very disrespectful. 300 very big ones, powerful ones. But when you look at all of those things that we got, and when we got our hostages back 
I didn't pay 1.8 billion in cash, like the hostages that came back from Iran, which was a disgraceful situation. What took place? So we've gotten a lot. So when I hear somebody in the media say that President Trump has agreed to meet, like it's not a big deal to meet. I think we should meet on a lot of different topics, not just this one. And I really believe a lot of great things can happen. <laughs> Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Notice with the with the we played that montage for you. We really we need a montage. Uh, we we pulled it together. Because look at how they were talking about the Iran deal for Obama. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. In fact, you had Charlie Krusty Paul Rose. Come here, that Krusty Paul wants to get close. It's so gross. When you read that whole thing about Charlie Rose was doing, he was subjecting people to, he's, ugh. Revered by the media establishment, by the way. Revered. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, but he said a triumph regardless of the final assessment. And that's really a perfect summary of what they we, we look look at all those different those were you probably recognize some of those voices. You got Gergen in there, you heard him is the best deal since back in seventy two with Reagan Nixon. Uh you know, they were ready to just do the touchdown end zone dance as soon as there was anything that they could call a deal. And they were even willing to say, I mean, this thing may be a train wreck, but let's say it's awesome today. That's where they were. And then I just want to play for you Trump saying, you know, I didn't have to do this. It's, it's, not a, it's not a fair comparison to look at the Iran deal and look at the nuclear talks. Because the Iran deal was, was the American people getting swindled because Obama wanted a foreign policy legacy. Do not forget. Do not allow them to distract you from the truth which is that the Obama administration was willing to write off the rest of our Mideast policy interests and leave a lot of our allies in the lurch, in the Mideast specifically, because he was so desperate to get a deal on Iran. Because if you're going to be president for eight years and you're going to be building, you know, a a billion-dollar library to yourself or whatever and all that, and running Netflix and all these things, you need to have something to call a foreign policy legacy. But when people say, well, the Iran deal, the North Korea, first of all, North Korea is not a deal. And if they, if Kim Jong-un acts like a little punk, there's not going to be a deal. So we're, we're pretty clear on this, right? And, and if he decides that he's going to, double-cross the United States in negotiations if he doesn't keep his word. And yeah, I know, it's, he's a terrible despot. Uh, it's, it wouldn't be all that surprising if he chose not to keep his word. But unlike the Iran deal, we lose really nothing here by trying. Whereas in the Iran deal, we were like, hey, here's all this cash. Here's access to more cash. In fact, there's been reporting from the last week or so about how the Obama administration, the Obama executive branch, was hiding ways that the Iranians were actually going to get banking access as part of our sweetening the pot for them. And then you had what was a straight-up ransom payment, okay? I mean, I, I it actually was on, I was on CNN trying to debate this with people, and I was like, listen to what I am saying. When you show up to a place where there are hostages with a lot of money and they released the hostages for the money, 
That is a ransom. Ransom. They're like, no, it's, it's, not, it's not a ransom. It's just statecraft and Obama and he's a genius. And, you know, we are the change we've been waiting for. No, it's a ransom payment. That was what that was what the Obama administration did. They made a ransom payment. Yeah. It wasn't even like the exchange that they made with Bo Bergdahl for the uh what was it, seven, six or seven senior Taliban figures. Uh this one was just cash, just cold hard cash. In fact, I believe we put it into uh various denominations, you know, to make it easier for the Iranians to launder around the world. So there was that. But by relieving the Iranians from sanctions at the point at which the sanctions had finally begun to really bite, you threw the regime an economic lifeline and you allowed Iran to then be under an umbrella of protection that comes with being willing to play ball with the rest of the international community under this so-called JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the really bad Iran deal. So... Iran had risks attached to it that were real, that were quantifiable, that were serious. North Korea, I'll just say it. I mean, failure in these talks is an option. It has to be an option or else there's no possibility of success. You are not negotiating if you are unwilling to walk away from the deal. If you won't walk away, all you are doing is haggling over the purchase price of what you've already accepted to buy. you got to be able to walk away entirely. So I think that's a very important uh, distinction here. Now, people got a little bit, a little bit you know, fired up around uh, the notion of Kim Jong-un at the White House, maybe even Mar-a-Lago, which, by the way, of all the photos, that, can you imagine Kim Jong-un I think he were. I think he's a speedo guy. I'm just. It's a guess, Mike. It's a guess. Do I have proof? No. But is it is it likely that he's a mankini guy? I. There's Would just Rodman something. Get an invite to. What's up? Would Dennis Rodman get an invite to? Oh my god! Of course, Rodman would have to be there. Of course, Rodman would have to be there. Uh, but yeah, Kim Jong Un. I feel like he's he's a guy who who definitely. He probably wears a mankini and maybe those, what do you call them, swimmies or floaties? You know, what do you have, like, on little kid's arms? Floaties? I call them floaties. Brandon says swimmies. See? People call them both. It's a crazy world we live in. It's not floaties, it's swimmies. It's the same idea. I can see him with that, with, like, some zinc. Remember the old school zinc you used to put on your nose? Like, just because, you don't remember the, the you, oh, you were cool. You didn't do that. But you know what I'm talking about. As a sunblock, you'd have that, like, white stripe on your nose, you know? Yeah, that's exactly zinc oxide. I'm just picturing Kim Jong-un rocking out down there, you know? He's definitely a Zima guy for sure, too. I don't know why. I just, I can picture it. I know this guy somehow. He's drinking Zima. He's got floaties. He's got a mankini. It would be an amazing scene. It really would. Um, and who knows who knows where it goes from there. Uh, but he, he might be in, I got a little... I got a little deep into uh, into that storyline. He might be invited to the White House, though. Play 10. And also, uh, will you travel to Pyongyang anytime soon? Well, at a certain time, I will. I said that will be a day that I look very much forward to at the appropriate time. And I also will be inviting Chairman Kim at the appropriate time to the White House. I would, I think, it's 
It's really going to be something that will be very important. And he has accepted, I said, at the appropriate time. We want to go a little bit further down the road. You know, we'll see what happens. I do find it interesting that you have the same chorus of foreign policy so-called geniuses out there who say we sh- that Trump is, oh my gosh, he's given them so much top cover and this is, look what he's done, he's legitimized the that same uh, chorus of so-called foreign policy experts tend to be the people who, who are also saying during the Obama administration and still during the Trump administration, well, the only way out of Afghanistan is a political settlement, a settlement with the Taliban. Oh, okay. That's... That's going to work out real well. And, and yeah, the Taliban, because they're not an oppressive, totalitarian, and vicious regime of thugs. You know? The, the people, they, they don't apply any principles to stuff. Really. It's, just, it's just all partisan. It all gets put in the partisan echo chamber. But remember one of my maxim, maxims about foreign policy in general, my friends. Pundits love talking about foreign policy because the timeline is so long that we all get to pretend like we're smart, and we never have to admit we're wrong. It's true of a lot of people, too. Because by the time you figure out if it actually happened or didn't, or you know, you can see the results, enough has transpired between those points that people say, oh, I, was, this, I, wasn't, I wasn't wrong. It's, it's, there was a, a change. Someone else decided six months in. There's always some excuse. You'll notice no one's ever wrong on foreign policy, or at least they won't admit they're wrong on foreign policy. People love to talk about this stuff so much. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here, I'm like, there's a lot of things that affect you and me a whole lot more than anything that's going on in North Korea, realistically. You know, the foreign po- you know what the foreign policy is that, that matters the most to your day-to-day life and mine? Actually, the two foreign policy issues that matter the most, most to you and me in terms of our lives, what, what we're dealing with each day, immigration and trade. So I'm, I'm happy that Trump is focused on those things, too. You know, usually you get people, oh, you know, we need to, what are we doing? And we got to, we got to work with, you know, there's this group that's, you know, in refugee status and fleeing from this place. And that's all well and good. That's why we have a UN so they can, you know, deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, But on North Korea foreign policy, I promise you, no matter what, no one that you're hearing now speak with all this confidence on these matters is ever going to come back and say, you know what? I I missed that one by a mile. It's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I want to talk to you about voluntary vagrants, the repeal of the Amazon tax in Seattle, very interesting thing, and then also Jeff Sessions and the asylum policy that we currently have in this country and how it needs to change. We've had Jeff on the, sh- on the show recently. You know, I call him Jeff now because we're buds. Uh, Right? Yeah. I, f- I feel like if I asked him to give me a high five when I saw him, he'd be like, okay. You know, he'd, he'd probably, he knows we're cool. I like Jeff. Uh, but we're going to talk about all that and more. So, uh, team, stay right there. If you want to call in, you got the number. Be right back. You make a choice every day when you're putting on clothing. Do you want comfortable gear that represents who you are and supports people and causes that you believe in? Nine Line Apparel checks all of those boxes. Nine Line is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. The name Nine Line is about a military term for pulling somebody off the field of battle to safety when they are injured, when they are in jeopardy. And these guys are all about helping the veterans community and supporting their fellow warriors overseas and back at home in every way that they can. 
Check them out for yourself. This is a fantastic apparel company and give back organization. Go to NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20 to save 20% off. That's NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. It's a great deal. BUCK20. 20% off your next order at NineLineApparel.com. Well, I'm on. Somehow I missed my reintro music, guys. It's a crazy thing we do these live radio shows, right? It's all right. I'm going to be honest with the audience. They're like, what's going on? Did someone kidnap Buck? See, I know the good thing is with this audience, they, they'd get, a, they'd get a, a posse together, and we'd have, like, some Marine snipers and some former SEALs and, you know, all kinds of folks, retired sheriffs, and they, they'd come and get me. You know, I'm not worried about it. They'd be like, Buck has to do the show. Dang it. We're going to go find him. So thanks, guys, for that. I appreciate that preemptively, that I know that if I did get kidnapped from the radio studio, you'd have my back. Uh, vagrants. Voluntary vagrants. This is a new trend that I didn't know was a trend until I read about it, but I've seen it out and about on the streets, particularly in some of the warmer urban areas of the country. This is when you have oftentimes well-off, Relatively spare, right? People from comfortable, usually suburban, upper middle class homes who are in their 20s, maybe their 30s, but mostly in their 20s. And they choose to live on the streets. They do not get jobs. They are not physically or mentally infirm. They do not have any, you know, they don't have any, uh, necessarily at least, any severe drug issues or mental health issues. By the way, overwhelmingly, true homelessness is a function of, not not everyone, obviously some people just have really bad string of luck, it can happen to anyone, but generally there's either alcohol or drug abuse or mental illness uh, with, with long-term homelessness. Sometimes people live in their car for six months or something, that's short-term homelessness. You know, and like I said, I mean, there but for the grace of God go any of us, really. But this voluntary vagrant thing is different. This is like, this is, they're kind of like, you know, evil hippies. You know, they, they, they travel around, their dogs, they travel with dogs often, their dogs can be kind of mean, and you know I love dogs, but like, I don't want a dog that's going to bite me, that's not cool. You know, they travel around with these trained killer carpet sharks, and I'm just kidding, they don't have dachshunds usually, they have other things. Although carpet sharks, as we know, actually can be quite dangerous. And they, uh, they panhandle, and this has become a movement, there are thousands and thousands of these people across the country. Producer Mike, have you seen some of this? Because I've seen people just... They're like sitting on the street. They look healthy. They look fine. They're like 25. And they're like, hey, man, can I get a, can I, you know, can you spare some change? I look at them like, why? You don't, well, well you know, what's your problem, buddy? You're, you got an iPhone in your hand. <laughs> You're wearing $200 Nike sneakers. And, uh, you know, you look like you just came from Burning Man. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem? Yeah. I, I actually saw a guy in the East Village. And actually, I was reading about this. And um, there was a, a person, a, a homeless on purpose. Um, panhandling, and I, I just heard him because he was sort of being obnoxious, and I turned around, exactly what he said. He had the Apple iPhone ear in and the iPhone in his hand with, fr- like, brand-new sneakers on. And I'm looking at him like, this is, doesn't seem right to me. 
Yeah, something something we something weird going on. And and you see it all over the place. I'll see these I know it's it's big in uh Portland, LA, uh I'm I'm guessing San Diego probably too, but I wasn't there for very long. The East, I've noticed it in like in the East Village. I spent a lot of time in East Village. I lived there for a little bit and I have a lot of friends in East Village. Oh yeah, in New York, yeah, yes. for sure. Very and to your point of the dogs, there is actually a mention in the story here that a one of the homeless had a large pit bull and went after a passerby and ate his dog. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's a it's a, just a very strange phenomenon. They they really are they're like evil hippies. There are some that I've seen in New York actually. There are a couple of them that that because I, I recognize them. They actually have a fair amount of face tattoos too, which is always an interesting I just look. I mean, to each his own. I just think that's an interesting choice, right? Like the, the Celtic rune, like you know, right on your left cheek, and then the, you know, you got to get some Sanskrit on there too, right? Just because who doesn't want Sanskrit written on their face, right? So there's some of that going on. But this is now a thing, and and cities are trying. To, the reason I'm bringing it up is the cities are trying to deal with this. But you know, what do you do? People want to live on the streets. They sit there. They they do some drugs. They drink. They. You know, they kind of hang out with their dogs, and I guess people give them money because they assume that they're on the street. See, this is the big differentiation. They assume that they are panhandling because they're desperate because they have no, you know, there's no one to help them. No, no, they are choosing this as a lifestyle. It's like the way people choose to go camping. These are able-bodied young people who are choosing to be homeless and live on the streets. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks, like, they must sneak back to the burbs and, you know, Sleep on mom and dad's overstuffed couch when, like, they've really had enough of it. Because yeah. there's a lot of this at Occupy Wall Street, like yeah. fake, you know, vagrancy. And but and as we've been talking about the economy recently, six point seven million jobs available. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, they can't find it. They can't find a gig here. It just strikes me as there's something something weird going here. Something uh, something hinky, something strange. All right. Um. Oh wait, Amazon, the tax. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Speaking of uh, vagrancy and homelessness and uh, some of the issues that particularly the more progressive cities of the coasts are dealing with these days. I mean, really inundated with uh, people living on streets and and that that creates a whole lot of problems, folks. It's a public health hazard. It's, it, it creates uh, safety challenges both for the people on the streets as well as those who are just trying to walk past them. There's a lot going on here. But in true progressive fashion, the city of Seattle, you may recall, we talked about it here on the show, came up with this this new idea of how to handle a problem via government action. Taxes, baby. Oh, yeah. That's right. Take more money from, in this case, businesses. That was the idea. It was a, a head tax in Seattle. It was called the Amazon tax because it was only going to be on companies that were, I think, over, uh, I forget, 20 or 30 or $40 million, something like that, T- and making tens of millions of dollars. So if you were running a lemonade stand, you were not going to be affected by this, although you probably need a permit from the city of Seattle to open a lemonade stand. 
Whole story for another time. $275 a year per full-time employee was supposed to be the way the tax went. It was going to raise almost $50 million and expire after five years. They were going to use this cash for the worthy purpose, or so it seemed, of uh, helping people get affordable housing or, or housing people. And they decided they decided that they would uh, abandon this after short order because, sure enough, the businesses, the very progressive businesses that I'm, I would uh, remind you include Starbucks and Amazon, they didn't want to pay this tax. Oh, what a surprise. You mean a direct tax that you can't get an army of accountants to get you out of is not something that even very progressive Oh, social justice aware. Woke, even. These companies are woke. Woke up. I don't know. Woke. But they didn't want to pay it. They're calling this now a capitulation, they say. A capitulation to the uh, corporate interests. And they don't know what they're going to do here to raise this money now. I don't know. Probably property taxes. Something like that. Uh, But that is... That is what happened. It did not last long, my friends. A matter of weeks before massive left-leaning corporations were like, you know what, we don't really, that whole, like, taxes for the public good, uh, you know, that's, we like to talk a big game with that, but we don't want to pay that. Ah, yes, what a surprise. A progressive that wants somebody else to pay the price, or in this case, a progressive corporation. CJ in Detroit wants to weigh in on this. Hey, CJ. Hey, Buck. Hey, I just want to comment real quick on you. You were saying that um, you saw this guy wearing really nice clothes, really nice sneakers, and had a yeah, iPhone and everything. And, and I can't not explain the iPhone, but I've done some work with the homeless here in Detroit. And I said something one time about these people come up in really nice clothes looking for free handouts. And the lady there at the uh, homeless shelter said, yeah, she says, he got those clothes here. We have some really wealthy people that donate clothes here, and they donate really nice stuff because that's what they buy. She says you can't just look at the way they're dressed and assume that they're wealthy. Well, no, that, I've that's never thought of that before. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Like I'm sure that's true, and and I mean I, I've donated I've donated lots of clothing. I've donated suits and things, and you know yeah. things that were in very good condition. You know, usually I donated to to churches, but uh, churches in New York. Um, yeah, but well, what, I'm, what I'm talking about more here, CJ, is when you see when you see an able-bodied 24-year-old who's wearing all brand new clothes that he clearly bought for himself and has like a 300 or 400 dollar Osprey pack on and is going around with like a laptop and a cell phone and has a you know can you help me out bucket in front of him? You're like, what is this? Well, he can afford all that stuff because he doesn't pay rent. Well, that's that's one way to put it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But this, you know, this this is a, it's become almost a, I don't know how to say it, it's almost like a lifestyle choice. They're calling it voluntary vagrancy. This seems to be a, a oh, thing that's happening more and more across the country. By the way, I, I'm guessing in Detroit, though, a little tougher because being a voluntary vagrant in mid-January in Detroit, I'm guessing, is not a fun thing. It's rough. Yeah, our, our company has headquarters in Portland, Oregon, and I was out there not too long ago, and it just on all the hillsides everywhere, there was just tents and tarps and, you know, the homeless in, in, in Portland is just as bad, I think, as anywhere else. Yeah, it's one of the per capita, one of the worst in the country. California, Oregon. I mean, those those states have a, a real big problems. CJ, man, thanks for calling in from Detroit. Shields, hi to you. 
I got to tell you about something I think really interesting that did not get uh, nearly enough play in today's news cycle because of the admittedly huge news about what, you know, about North Korea and the Singapore summit and all this stuff. But who watches the watchers, right? Who is in charge of oversight? And what happens when the people that are in charge of oversight are told, no, those that, in this case, the FBI and DOJ, you think you oversee? They actually oversee you. Huh? We'll get into uh, the details of this and oh so much more. Stay with me. Who is really in charge of the Department of Justice? It's a completely fair question to ask these days, my friends, because it seems that emboldened by their allies in the uh, Democrat media apparatus, there are some very prominent figures in the DOJ and the FBI, right? FBI is a, uh, a subcomponent of the Department of Justice. But there are people running these places who seem to think that Congress does not get the uh, does not have the right in fact have the constitutional authority and obligation to do oversight that DOJ has become a kind of government unto itself this is very troubling when you see what happens in other countries throughout history uh, throughout the history of the 20th century in particular when the judiciary or rather the prosecutorial functions, and sometimes with the judiciary, because it's different in other countries. Some countries, it's all kind of one thing. Here we think of them separately. But when they become too powerful, they become a threat to liberty, not a guarantor of it. Now, why am I thinking about this? Well, I think it's just generally philosophically worth keeping all of this in mind. But some very powerful reporting here from Catherine Herridge over at Fox News on how Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein has, quote, threatened to subpoena emails, phone records, and other documents from lawmakers and staff on a Republican-led House committee during a tense meeting earlier this year. Aides described this as a personal attack. Here's what's written below this. The emails memorialize a January 2018 closed-door meeting involving senior FBI and Justice Department officials, as well as members of the House Intelligence Committee. The account claimed Rosenstein threatened to turn the tables on the committee's inquiries regarding the Russia Russia probe. Rosenstein criticized the committee for sending our requests in writing and was further critical of the committee's request to have DOJ-FBI do the same when responding. The committee's then-senior counsel for counterterrorism, Kash Patel, wrote to the House Office of General Counsel, quote, going so far as to say that if the committee likes being litigators, then we, DOJ, too, are litigators, and we will subpoena your records and emails, referring to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and Congress overall. My friends, this is bonkersville. This is crazy. Do you realize what the, what this is telling us? I mean, this should be a much bigger story than you're seeing in most places. I mean, Fox has got the exclusive on it. I think it'll catch elsewhere, hopefully. But this is completely nuts. This is like the FBI saying to the people whose job it is, the elected officials entrusted with the power by the American public to look at the 
happenings in the DOJ and FBI and make determinations about what is, you know, how it's going, whether it's functioning the way that it should, whether it's being just, in fact, is the Justice Department engaged in a process of dispensing justice or is there a grotesque politicization at the heart of much of its activity? That's what the Oversight Committee, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, for example, is supposed to be able to find out. But this is amazing. This means that FBI and DOJ officials will now say to members of Congress, you think you can subpoena us? We can subpoena you. Oh, intimidating members of Congress who are doing their constitutional duty of oversight of an executive branch agency? Uh, my friends, this is, this is jaw-dropping. Greg Jarrett also reporting here that a second source has confirmed to him, Greg Jarrett of Fox News, that in a meeting on January 10th, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein used the power of his office to threaten to subpoena the calls and texts of the Intel Committee to get it to stop its investigation of DOJ and FBI, likely an abuse of power and obstruction. Uh, Emails reviewed by Fox News provide additional details about that encounter. A former Justice Department official said that the account may help explain how the relationship between the DOJ and the Republican-led House Committee has broken down in the months since. Quote, this is much worse than a deteriorating relationship. This is a massive breakdown in the system. Folks, folks, you know what this reminds me of? Remember that scene in uh, Crimson Tide? Pretty good movie with Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, where you get the the Hackman faction and the Denzel faction all draw down weapons on each other, you know? And they're in a what we would call a Mexican standoff, right? Everyone's got weapons drawn on everybody else. And it's, you know, who, well, who's in charge then? When half the room of armed... And in that case, you know, it was armed forces. It was a you know navy. When half the room of navy guys pull guns on the other half of navy guys, both claiming that their commanding officers in charge, you know, who's really in charge? Now I know that a lot of liberties taken with the movie and everything else, but it's similar to that. What we're seeing here right now in this well, this happened a few months ago, but we're finding out about it right now that in this country, our chief law enforcement officials are telling the only people. The only people who are in a position to be a check on their power and to look for abuse of their power, other than the president himself, who, as we know, oh, no, he can't. Oh, no, it's obstruction. The DOJ is not a co-equal branch of government with the president. They are not at the top of the executive branch. They're not a fourth branch of government. They are a chain of command agency below the president within the executive branch within the executive branch. And the Congress has power of the purse and has oversight as a result of having power of the purse, and that you have... <laughs> this is amazing. Then you have the, the Deputy Attorney General saying, yeah, you guys think, you guys think you're entitled to our stuff? We're going to start subpoenaing your stuff. I, I mean, the, people talk about... And by I mean people, are the, you know, the left-wing media, oh, are degrading institutions, undermining our institutions... 
what could be undermining our institutions more than the most abuse-prone agency of the federal government, the one that has the greatest power to influence politics, to destroy lives, the one that the citizenry should be the most concerned about abuses by, and that is the prosecutorial arm, the Justice Department. When the prosecutors think that they are a law unto themselves, what kind of country are we living in? And we are seeing real evidence of that now. They do not have a right, ethically or legally, Rosenstein and his whole cabal, to withhold information from the duly constructed and assembled congressional committees. They don't have the right. They seem to think they do, though, which for people whose whole job is to understand the law and to uphold the Constitution is very troubling. But you know what else is happening here? There is a massive, and has been for a long time, a massive cover-up underway of what went on during the election and after at the Department of Justice. There's no, My friends, there's no question now, no question now that that is what happened. It's just, we just need to find out how far-reaching was it, what exactly happened, who was involved, and what did they do. But they are hiding information, not just from the public, which is bad enough, but from the very people whose job it is to make sure in our government that officials cannot abuse their power and then hide the information that we need to know if they've abused their power. This is, uh, but, you know, you want to talk about a constitutional crisis. What happens, you know, oh, it also, there's another scene. I think it also involves Denzel Washington, a very good movie for what it was, pre-9-11, by the way, called The Siege, about major terrorist attacks in New York City. I thought it was a good movie. Bruce Willis plays a kind of rogue army general. And there's a scene where Denzel Washington, again, I believe it was Denzel, yeah, is the head, is the like the chief FBI agent involved. And he tells his guys to draw down on the military guys who are under the command of Bruce Willis. And they're all pointing guns at each other. And it's like, well, who's, you know, if the military saying, you know, we have jurisdiction here. This is like a, you know, posse comitatus or, whatever, you know, blah, blah. This is a national emergency. And the FBI is like, no, we're in charge here. Well, who's really in charge? <laughs> you know, it makes for a pretty tense moment on screen. When the prosecutors at the DOJ are telling members of Congress, you think you're investigating us, we're going to investigate you. Who wins that battle, really? I mean, I, constitutionally, the Congress does, but... How does that work? You're going to have FBI guys now going after members of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, pulling their phone calls? Why? Looking for, what, obstruction or collusion or something? But this is important. You start to see discretion can be abused. These offices, these agencies, like the Department of Justice, have a tremendous amount of power, and it is ripe for abuse unless we keep a very close eye on it. And what we're seeing is that they want to prevent us from even being able to keep an eye on it. This should be very, very troubling to anyone. Uh, all right, we're going to get into some uh, some more in Hour 3, so uh, stay with me, team. Pups, dogs, they're great, right? I love dogs. You love dogs. They're amazing. But, you know, they also are a lot of work. And if you've kept them cooped up inside all day, when you, when you get home, you know you let them run around the yard, what are they going to start doing? Digging. 
And if your dog gets under the fence, now you've got a safety hazard for the dog. You might have to run out there and, and, and go chase it down. And you also can have predators like foxes and raccoons. They can come into your yard, and you don't want that. Dig Defense solves this problem for you. It is genius. I'm telling you, check it out. It is a easy-to-install solution. You can do it with a hammer and a pair of gloves. comes in a bunch of different models. It'll fit your needs exactly. It extends the protection of your fence underground. It's like a little additional underground barrier with your fence. Go to StopTheDig.com. Again, StopTheDig.com, or it's available online at Lowe's, Menards, and Wayfair. Dig Defense. Welcome to Hour 3, team. You know, I got to take us back for a second to a little bit of what was going on in Singapore with the summit. (laughs) This is just a fun one. Because, you know, CNN, which I'm starting to think is actually actually the, the crazy news network instead of the other things, you know, the, the, it was the Clinton News Network, but not anymore. Uh, but they've got a White House correspondent named Jim Acosta. Now, now the, the anchors and senior correspondents at CNN all think very, very highly of themselves. They are incredibly sanctimonious. They are impeccably dressed, but they are deeply unimpressive in their analysis of what is going on in the world on a day-to-day basis. And they don't even recognize their own enormous left-leaning biases in what they do, right? This is why I say CNN is now in the midst of one giant lie. It's just one big fantasy that they're running around in. Uh, And, you know, good for them for being able to make a profit while they do it. But Acosta in particular has come come to be seen, I think, as a particularly shameless self-promoter, one who believes that belligerently challenging the president and doing everything in his power to be a, a thorn in the side of the administration publicly, not to not asking tough questions, but to really just be to be disrespectful whenever he can. Uh, that that's a way to start him. And in a sense, he's right, because here I am talking about him. But there is a great there's a great hot mic moment here uh, where he's at the he's at the summit. And you hear, oh gosh, you, you hear you hear some Acosta and you get a sense of what you're really dealing with here. Play it. Hey, if they're not going to let me in the meeting, that's what happens, right? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was shot to ask him. All day long, man. All day long. It's certainly a shot to ask him, but that's all day long. So he's, he's saying that he, he's yelling out, Producer Mike, what exactly... Was was the context here? He he's saying if they won't let me in the meeting, I'm gonna yell stuff. What yeah, was, what? yeah. He was uh, shunned from one of their meetings, and uh, he I guess it sounded like he was talking to another producer, and he just was yeah. saying, and it's hard to yeah, hear a little bit because it's I, I uh, did, yeah. What what exactly? He says if they're not gonna let me in the meeting, that's uh, what's gonna happen all day I'm, long. That's what all happened. Day long. That's what all happens day long. all day long. Yeah, he man, he's 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 a uh, he's an off mic tough guy. You know, <laughs> CNN, a lot of off mic and Twitter tough guys at CNN. Not not a lot of people that I think you'd want by your side when things actually got rough. But uh, nonetheless, you, you got Acosta there. He has become uh, something of a yeah, something of a fixture on the conservative commentary cycle because he just gives you. Endless amounts of material all the time. Uh, but really, this, the single 
worst moment of today, I think, in terms of Trump derangement syndrome and, and how much the media really, really does hate this president, came courtesy of Nicole Wallace. Now, she's one of these uh, former Bush administration folks who I think took the rise of Trump and, the, and, and is taking the Trump presidency very personally. Because when you've been someone who worked in a previous administration, you seem to have this idea that now you're the only person that really deserves a similar administration job going forward. Like, like the country really needs you to be the deputy assistant undersecretary deputy of, you know, media communications in the northeastern sector of the U.S. or something. Nobody else can handle that deputy, deputy, under assistant, secretary, deputy job, right? You're the one that can really handle it. And so there's a bitterness from some of these former Bush folks that I see. Not all of them, but some of them, right? I mean, you got David Frum running around there. I mean, he's just, he just sounds unhinged to me. I don't know the guy. I was going to say, he could be a really nice guy. Doesn't strike me. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I might be wrong on that. But he's running around saying crazy stuff. Like the country has a fever and you need to save the country. These people that keep talking about all this gloom and doom, what country are they living in? I always want to ask them that. But in our uh, our kind of media hall of shame today, Nicole Wallace is really in a, a class by herself. I don't really even know what, Mike, what was it? Was she, uh, was she in the White House comm shop or something under Bush? Do we know what her form? Now she's at MSNBC. So she's a conservative whose job is to play anti-Trump, or not even conservative. She's a Republican whose job is to play anti, anti-Trump Republican on TV. Uh, but she, you got to hear this to believe it. You, you got to just hear it from her. Play 13. That our own Keir Simmons reported today and shared with us at 4 p.m. Is that both men are liars. He said Kim Jong-un lies, and he said Donald Trump lies. So it is at this point, and I've talked to two former senior intelligence officials, it is a known unknown what, what was discussed, and it is not knowable that we'll ever know what really happened what happened in that meeting, because both men are known and established liars. Now, she may not see it this way, but it's hard to listen to this and not think, wow, this person who is paid, I'd, I'd wager rather handsomely, to be on television and share information and her opinion. This person is putting Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump on roughly the same moral plane. She is suggesting, and, and not being particularly shy about it, that there's a commonality between Trump and Kim Jong-un. Now, you know, here's something else, folks. Everybody lies. It's true. Everybody lies. It's just a question of how you define a lie, right? When, you're, uh, when your spouse says, does this make me look fat? And it's been a long winter, and there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, wheels of brie that have been consumed. And you, maybe you've been a part of that, too. But, you know, if, if your spouse, your wonderful spouse, has put on a few and asked the question, does this make me look fat, male or female, the answer is no. The answer is always no. It does not matter if your spouse, in fact, looks like a glistening sausage trying to get fit into a case at the butcher shop. The answer is, and that was, that was quite a visual, right? The answer is no. Do not look fat. Now, that, isn't, that is a, a form of lying, right? When I finish up an interview with someone applying for a job, and they were terrible, 
and I tell them, well, you did a great job. Thank you for coming in. I'm lying to them. But it's also known as being polite and professional. I'm lying to them. And then you take it all the way up to, you know, if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. Lies that matter. But there's a whole spectrum out there. To put Trump, who, you know, you would say maybe he lies about, you know, a crowd size in an event. But, you know, that's really exaggeration. You know, the, see, here's what you here's the problem with the media right now. You're seeing this a lot. They're so desperate to claim this this uh, unassailable moral high ground against Trump and all these people that they're not even willing to say that they disagree with them. They're willing that they're all about this is now right and wrong. So when you say Trump is a good president, you're a liar because he's a terrible president. You say, well, no, but that's my opinion. I think Trump is a good. No, no, you're a liar because he's so bad. You're lying. Oh, interesting. Right. This is a way they try to is the same way that they used to rely on hashtag science. Oh, the science is with us. The numbers are with us on it. Matters of opinion that they would say that it was scientifically their side was scientifically supported. Your side, of course, is not. They say this also just with the truth now. And this is how they're fighting back against the notion of fake news is they are the ones that have the facts on their side. They can run these anti-Trump narratives. They can be obvious partisans but the facts are on the side of the obvious partisans this is how they're trying to take background in this fight for the heart and soul of the country and i really mean that because the media is not to be trusted and people know that i come on air every night and i tell you this is what i think this is what i believe this is who i support you can take it or leave it you can like what i say not like what i say i try to i strive to be factually accurate in everything i say but at least you know you know who who i'm rooting for and who i'm not rooting for all these other people out there that are acting like they're just calling balls and strikes, they're liars. They're liars. They are, in fact, living a lie on TV or in print or wherever it is that they're doing it. And for Nicole Wallace to say they're both liars, this is just symptomatic of this madness that some Trump exaggeration, salesmanship, overstatement is in any way equivalent to a regime that is built upon lies wholesale, right? A regime that believes, or a regime that trains its people to believe that America is full of bloodthirsty killers and our military murders children wantonly. And and she's speaking about them like, like there's some similarity. You can play this game. You can play this game of a kind of extreme literalism with any number of issues. It would be accurate, for example, to call you if you've ever jaywalked a criminal because you are one who has you are one who has committed a crime. But is that a fair thing to say? That's not a fair thing to say. When they are calling Trump a liar, a liar, a liar, they're trying to tar him with that. It is a propaganda tactic. You notice how they never tell us what's the really important lie. Where's the thing that where's the thing that Trump lied and I suffered as a result or you suffered as a result? Oh, they really want to. They really want to play the game that it, they're just all about the truth now, the truth and nothing but the truth all the time. Because that's the way politics works, right? Politicians never mislead, pander. <laughs> it's it's like all of a sudden, the most practiced liars in the world, the American mainstream media, have become the guardians of truth for all of us. Please, 
But yeah, Nicole Wallace really in a class by herself on that one. Uh, and uh, Jim Acosta, just being Acosta from what I understand. He, he is a self-important, sanctimonious clown, which is a, almost like a job description now. It's, it's really a, a wide-ranging description of a lot of the talent over at CNN. I always want to ask, what are their talents exactly? Getting the right haircut, right cut, right cut of suit, looking at the camera a certain way. I know these people, folks. They don't know anything. Not impressive. Not smart. Want to look down on you and me, though, because they think they know something. But they don't. Uh, we are going to be getting into roll call here shortly. So that and uh, a whole lot more fun is coming up in the third hour. Stay with me. Our sponsor this half hour is the novel Anubis. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts. And the U.S. Special Forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain in Anubis. A-N-U-B-I-S. It is his new book on sale at Amazon.com or visit Dunbooks at Dunbooks.com. That's D-U-N-N books.com for Anubis. I know mergers and acquisitions don't tend to get folks all that excited, uh, but I also know that this is one that will uh, affect what you're able to watch on TV. This is one that uh, could have an impact on any any number of channels out there that you're probably used to seeing. Just cleared today, massive, massive uh, decision from the Justice Department about a merger that AT&T's 85.4% Billion-dollar purchase of Time Warner is legal, which clears the path for a deal that gives the pay TV provider ownership of cable channels such as HBO and (gasps) CNN, as well as the film studio Warner Brothers. So we will have to see what this turns into, my friends. But And that was, by the way, all courtesy of CNBC. You're seeing some consolidation, some mega consolidation of these massive media companies going on. Just note that AT&T buying effectively CNN, that's going to pass now, I I think, without a whole lot of commentary in the media. They're going to say, oh, yeah, that's fine. No conditions, by the way. The judge cleared the, I'm sorry, a judge. Did I say the DOJ? I meant a, a federal judge cleared this. DOJ was actually opposing this, so pardon me if I misspoke on that one. Uh, but no conditions here on the merger from the judge. Uh, just get ready, though, because when Sinclair and Tribune are up for a merger, I think you can expect there'll be a lot of this uh, scaremongering from the media, like, oh, my gosh, they're going to have such a, so much control over what people can see and say. You know, they, they just, what they really don't want is a realistically competitive news and information marketplace where conservative voices, right of center voices, 
have anything anything in the neighborhood of a fair shot of an even playing field. That's like that's like their worst that's their worst nightmare. If that happens, then it's very very unlikely I think that you'll see this continued I mean 95% of people in uh, in journalism are Democrats. 95 Maybe it's 90. I think it's 95, though. 95% of civil servants give money to Hillary. They do not give money to Republicans. This is a political pandemic now. It's gotten completely out of control. So anyway, we'll see what happens with this this Time Warner uh, AT&T merger. I wonder if it'll have any effect on CNN. I doubt it. These things probably, it doesn't really change all that much. Although, I believe CNN's ratings are... Way down. Producer Mike, do we have some sense of that, where where the CNN ratings are at this point? I don't know why anybody, if you want to see a photo of Stormy Daniels on on a screen, there are a lot of other places that folks go other than CNN. I know the last, I'll look at more specific in a second, but I know their last uh, ratings round that came out, they didn't have one show that appeared in the top 25 of any of the news news shows. And it's just amazing to me. how How is that acceptable? This is a uh, you know the the oldest cable news brand. It's supposed to be the the gold standard, and you know now it's the turd standard. And I just wonder when someone decides that what they're doing is not working. Uh, you know, unless they really just plan to be playing to an audience of elites, and they figure that it it doesn't matter if a healthy percentage of the American people watch them or not. I mean, I I can't I can't watch it. I think it's just. It is just garbage. I really do. I, whenever I I happen to flip through it, just also the there's such a, a depressing nastiness about it as well. They're so down on the administration, so opposed to all of the uh... just just real quick here that's uh, on that CNN. Yeah. So they had a uh, uh, they st- it says here they came out of May with a uh, what they're calling a massive minus twenty five percent ratings when compared to the same month last year. And on average total primetime viewers in May, they uh, came in third at 835,000 um, compared to Fox, who was number one to 2.38 million. I mean, folks, Fox has three times the average audience of CNN. Three times. It's not even close. You know, MSNBC, at least everyone knows that, like, look, they they were... The Obama, the pro-Obama network under the Obama administration, they are a left-wing Democrat outfit. And, and they bring on, like I played Nicole Wallace audio before, they bring on these, these Republicans now whose only real role is to do everything they can to tear down the Republican Party, tear down the GOP, and make life as hard as possible for the Trump administration. That's their only goal right now. They're, they're just there to bash Trump all the time. So, you know, that's... That's a role that, look, it's why one of the reasons I left CNN and also they were getting crazy. It's just not a role I wanted to play. It's not a role I was willing to play. I'm not going to root against America so I can get some piddly, rinky-dink uh, contributor paycheck from one of the one of those networks, right? The only, the only one that, the only place where I like to go and do cable TV, and I'm willing to do cable TV anymore, is Fox. The only place. It's not a surprise to anybody's paying attention. Uh, all right, team, I've... Uh, I've got a lot more coming. Stay with me. 
You know, a very important part of happiness in life is managing your expectations. Uh, this is actually, when, whenever they do these studies of people that are, you know, the, the happiest people in the world and play, they're always, you know, they're, Scandinavia tends to be very high on the list. And you know, people in Sweden. Uh, Switzerland is very high. You know, I can do this for every country, right? Just give me a country. I'll, I'll come up with some special, uh, I don't know, roll call for it, kind of. But the reality is that many of us especially in our with our economic goals in life it can get a little bit uh, a little bit ahead of ourselves and millennials according to this daily this report in the daily mail which i found very interesting millennials have more than half of them expect to be millionaires and, and so so 53% of millennials believe they're going to be millionaires so Either they're all planning on uh, winning the lottery, or some of them, I think, are going to be a little disappointed. That all said, I actually like that the that the mass economic libido of millennials is strong. I think it's a good thing. I think it's important that they want to go out and and achieve. I just hope that a lot of them don't believe that they will become millionaires. Through they came in like my parents, you're gonna like give me all the money, right? Like so I'll be a millionaire in like twenty or thirty years, and in the meantime, I'm just gonna sleep in their basement, man. Whatever, that's bad. We don't want that. We want people who actually are gonna go out there and uh, fend for themselves, fight for themselves, and make their own way. Um, but twenty five percent of this study also, this is all cited in the in the Daily Mail. Uh, this is by. Wait, I'm trying to find where the study actually comes from because it's cited here. It doesn't really. It doesn't really matter. It's the end of the show. We're talking about a study. You know, studies take it or leave it. It's a snapshot. Maybe it's accurate. Maybe it's not. You know, tomato, tomato. But half of them expect to be millionaires, and 25% say they will never marry. 30% plan on never having children. Uh, you know, folks. I gotta be honest. I haven't had kids yet. Uh, don't worry, it's gonna happen. But I haven't had kids yet. And I gotta say, I've never met somebody in my life who was, you know, over the age of forty, who had regretted not just the choice to have kids, but who had regretted having, you know, if they had more than one kid. Or, and I have met people who regretted not having more kids. So. You know, I don't know if that's just self-selection, that people that have children are happy to have had them, but it does strike me, and this is just anecdotal, this is not based on any particular evidence or anything else. It does strike me, though, that I think uh, the next generation is a good thing. Rearing the next, the, the, the next version of, of your bloodline, you know, that, that's probably something that people find worthwhile. But in this study, it also says that one in five believe, or one in five still rely on their parents for financial support, and they all want to, re- so you got 20% of them are still getting their parents to pay their bills. 50% think they're going to be millionaires. 25%, I'm sorry, 20% still have their parents paying their bills. 
And then at 56, they expect to retire, but they won't start saving for retirement until age 36. See, that's what I mean about expectations. It is important to have a plan. It's important to execute on that plan and to keep it within the realm of reality. That is, that's that's a lesson that I've learned time and time again. It's one that you can learn the hard way, but you'd really prefer not to. You know, um, and with the, by the way, millennials get, you know, they get so trashed by other generations, but it's really, you know, it's a few things. One, especially in this country, you have the millennials are the first, I believe, that are expected to be less well off per capita than their parents. So there's a reason for that, folks, and it's because of the massive welfare state, which the boomers are now enjoying. But the millennials and the submillennials, whatever we call them, I'm a zennial, right? So I'm older than a millennial. Whatever we call people who are younger than millennials, uh, they're going to be the ones that have to shoulder that financial burden. They're going to be the ones that have to pay high. Look, it's just going to mean higher taxes, less growth, less productivity. It's not not a good thing. But, you know, half of them expecting to be a millionaire one day. I'll just say this. I, I have definitely met people who have more money than they more money than they need or even know what to do with and they are still miserable. Uh, I, I don't believe people will say that money makes you unhappy. That's not true. Money's a good thing. <laughs> you need enough money to live. You need enough money to have the options you want in your day-to-day life. But money doesn't solve everything at all, as you know. Uh, but I, you know I, I so I look at this study of millennials in a few different ways. Bottom line, I'm glad that they think they, they're going to be millionaires, but I hope they understand that it's really, really hard to become one, and it's going to require a lot of work. Roll Call is up next, my friends. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Oh, man, my friends, Woo! roll call time. It is busy down here in the swamp. I'm running around, running running myself ragged, trying to get all this stuff ready here. First day on air tomorrow at, uh, at hill.tv. And we've got a uh, Ted Cruz interview we're going to be running. We're going to be talking about all the latest news. Uh, check it out. I promise it will be, you'll see a bit of, of Buck letting it rip, you know. It's mellow. It's morning show. So don't worry. It's not like, how dare you? There's not a lot of shouting or yelling or arguing. We're going to be nice. We're going to be nice to each other. It's going to be smart political debate with some funny stuff, some fun stuff. We're going to be talking about food sometimes, pop culture. Should be a great show. Uh, My co-host, Crystal Ball, is fantastic. And you should all, I know, Crystal Ball and Buck Sexton. You can't get better names for media than that. And those are actually both our names. But all right, let's get to you. Enough, Enough about me and enough about Crystal and me. Uh, roll call is facebook.com slash buck sexton send a message there you know we love getting messages from all of you it uh, keeps me going and and by the way especially you know when i when you can tell i'm sick which i've been i was so sick last week man i was just pushing through with meds and i had all kinds of stuff going on uh you know i had a i had a sty i look i just tell you guys this because you're like family i had a sty in my eye one of the worst things that's going to happen to you when you're literally doing new photos promo photos for a tv network you're launching is to have a large red pustule on your eyelid okay that's like puffing up and 
not not fun. So it was a stressful week, but all of you, just the messages, the notes, the support really, really means a lot. So thank you for that. And uh, Roll Call is a place where we get to hear from some of you about all that. Uh, first up, Stacy. She writes, my favorite new quote is, be humble or be humbled. Don't know who said it. Love your show. Well, Stacy, it is absolutely true. Uh, it's funny. People sometimes in this business tell me, hey, Buck, make sure you, you know, as, as you get more successful, as you move along, stay humble. And I look at them like, stay humble. I'm, my, my, my bigger issue is not just uh, is, is being too hard on, on myself and on this industry, I think. You know, trust me. When you're, when you're at my level, even though I'm doing fun things, I get to do this show, you are constantly eating humble pie in all kinds of ways. And, you know, if, if you go around thinking you're some kind of fancy, fancy pants, uh, you're going you're gonna to be forced into a state of humility. So, that, uh, but thank you, Stacy, for the note and uh, the words of wisdom. All right, here we go. Hey, Buck, this is from Daniel. Love the show. I would like to weigh in on the LeBron James versus Michael Jordan debate with a part of something I just wrote about it. Quote, those who tout LeBron James as the greatest ever can point to another playoff record he set in 2018. He surpassed Michael Jordan as the all-time scoring leader in playoff history. However, this time should be taken with a large grain of salt for the following reason. James and Jordan both played in the playoffs 13 times. However, James has many more playoff games to reach his point total than did Jordan. Um, okay. Thank you for weighing in, Daniel. I appreciate it. Amy. All right. Dear Buck, did you say your co-host name is really Crystal Ball? Uh, the jokes. Oh, the jokes. I can't help it. Congrats on the new show. Amy, her name is, in fact, Crystal Ball. It is, in fact, Crystal Ball. So there you have it. Uh, next up here, we have... Thomas, who writes, congratulations on establishing your first fob from the Freedom Hut HQ. Don't get sucked into the swamp, Buck. Continue to lead the way with honest, insane commentary on the issues of the day. I noticed the wake conducted by the progressive socialists during the historic summit between Trump and Kim Jong-un. Feigned apprehension and innuendos is all Pelosi and Menendez can muster in response to this historic event. Probably because it blindsided them and makes Obama look like a footnote in history. The question the media will eventually get around to asking is, why now? President Trump is five chess moves ahead of the D.C. conventional wisdom and brain trust of the Beltway. Uh, Well, Thomas, thank you, my friend. Good to hear from you, as always. Um, Next up here on our roll call is... uh, There we go. Amanda Buck... You mentioned burkinis on an earlier roll call. As a redhead, I wish it was normal to wear them. It's quite an ordeal to apply head-to-toe SPF 70 before hitting the pool. I would wear a large hat, but like you, I am gifted with a large cranium. And hats just don't work. Well, Amanda, us big heads need to stick together. Um, Also, she sent a very cute photo here of her Shih Tzu Poodle Mix Diesel. Very cute. Very, very cute. Uh, I've got a bunch of redheads in my family, actually. Well, if you kind of extend my family out beyond immediate family. And I know it's tough. Uh, Redheads burn more easily. I think redheads have the thickest hair per square inch uh, on uh, on their scalp. And I also think that redheads have a higher than average pain tolerance, if you would like to know all these fun facts. 
So there you go. Denny writes, uh, Buck, thanks so much for reading my message on air. My daughter said she found the information to be very helpful. Shields high. Uh, Yes, yes, indeed. Dan. uh, Dan is going to get his message read as soon as it comes. Whoa, here we go. We got a lot, a lot coming in here. Um, Hey, Buck Sexton. For a change, I had a little on my mind about listening to your show. Love your show, especially the story of the dislodged eyebrow. Where did the eyebrow go? Did the eyebrow just spontaneously fall off? Was the owner of the dislodged eyebrow able to reach the eyebrow? Okay, a lot about eyebrows here. Um, Okay. Regardless, you have a faithful listener whenever you're on air. Dan, well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, Laura is next up here. Congrats on your new Hill TV show, Buck. So happy for you and so proud. Hope you'll still have time for Miss Molly. She sounds like a keeper from Laura. Uh, Laura, Miss Molly is a keeper, and I will certainly have time for her. Uh, as to Hill.TV, it launches Wednesday. Uh, it's something that, by the way, I don't want you to think you have to watch it live. It is very much a interstitial is the term we use for it, but, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, a show you can watch segments on demand throughout the day. I'm really hoping that some of you will find segments of it that you like and share those segments with people because the social media boost that we can get from all of you is going to be the difference between success and not, such, not so much success in the first few weeks of the show. I, I'm really counting on as many of you in the team as possible. Remember, this is not cable. It's there's no fee. There's no subscription. It is just you can. And, and it's really meant to be watched on your phone. So when you're on the way to work, when you're sitting on the the train, the bus, you know, if you're obviously not driving, but if you're a passenger, uh, just check out Hill TV and we'll have all kinds of fun stuff there for you to see. TJ also in some roll call action here. And TJ, thank you for always wearing a Shields High t-shirt in your avatar. Uh, that, that is something that gets me fired up. Great show, Buck. In regards to your living conditions, mattress on the floor, folding chair, and no TV. Sounds like heaven. If I was you, I'd keep it that way. The less distractions, the better. Hashtag simple man. Uh, you know, TJ, I got to tell you, it's kind of nice. Minimalism in your home really does have its advantages. I, I'm somebody who does not like clutter. In fact, I think I, I would say that clutter can make me a little, you know, can put me on edge. I, I find clutter to be anxiety-producing or, or just annoying, maybe. So, yeah, I'm getting used to it. I mean, the, the mattress on the ground thing feels a lot like college, but I got to tell you, at least I don't have to worry about rolling off, you know. I got that going for me, which is nice. And I don't have a TV, but, you know, it's funny. When you don't have a TV, you don't watch TV. When you don't watch TV, you've got more time. When you've got more time, you can do more things. Isn't that remarkable how that works? But I kind of miss being able to throw on the TV. Plus, I've got to watch Cobra Kai. You know, in fact, actually, I think I'm going to get to that. I think I'm going to get to that tonight. So that's that's something I want to do. Jason writes, hey, Buck, just a thought. Particularly after the G7 thing, doesn't it seem like one of the major aspects of liberals in many areas, is that they care more about the rhetoric than the results. They seem to make people into heroes when they say the right things and villains when they don't, but have no particular interest in the results of their policies and rhetoric. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, Jason, I do think a lot of progressives, a lot, of, a lot of liberals are not just all talk, but obsessed with talk and talking and telling others what to do and telling others how great they are. Uh, when in truth, they'd be a lot better off focusing on, oh, I don't know, what the power that they have. I'm talking about now the Democrat Party and, and others. The power they have to make people's uh, lives better or more importantly, from a conservative perspective, make their lives less bad through government intervention, meaning don't mess things up. Just do no harm. Do no harm shouldn't just be a motto from the Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm would be a great thing for government to start to have as a motto. That's going to be it for uh, the Freedom Hut today, my friends. Uh, we will be getting that Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton podcast launched this week, so stay tuned for that. I'll let you know when the link is up. Hill.TV launches tomorrow. Go check it out. Hill.TV. Buck Sexton co-hosting Rising. And uh, it's going to be a busy week, folks. So the more of you I have with me, the more worthwhile it'll all be and the better I'll feel about it. So... Please join me, and then I'll see you tomorrow here as always. Shields high.